European Hearts Journal Issue at a Glance, Volume 38, Issue 26, Focus Issue on GUCH, by Editor-in-Chief Professor Thomas Lucia. Congenital Heart Disease, Some Progress, But Still a Challenge of a Lifetime. About one in a hundred children are born with some form of congenital heart disease. Only half a century ago, most of these children died in early childhood. Thanks to surgical pioneers and careful paediatric cardiologists, the care of such patients has impressively progressed over the last decades. Hence, today, the majority of children with congenital heart disease reach adulthood, but need continued professional care by specifically trained cardiologists in an interdisciplinary approach, together with many medical specialists. Indeed, with continued expert care, more than 85% of babies born with congenital heart disease can now expect to survive to adulthood. However, such patients may continue to experience arrhythmias, valvular heart disease, pulmonary hypertension, as well as heart failure, requiring interventional and surgical procedures up to heart transplantation. However, in their review, Adult Congenital Heart Disease, The Challenges of a Lifetime, Carol Warns and colleagues from the Mayo Clinic Medical School in Rochester, Minnesota, USA, examined the unique challenges that the surgical and medical community, as well as the patients themselves, face. This review is divided into three specific areas, the challenges for the surgeons, the general cardiologists, and the congenital heart disease subspecialists, and importantly, the challenges for patients themselves, exploring some of the challenges of the past, the present, and continuing challenges yet to be overcome. Besides arrhythmias, such as supraventricular tachycardia, requiring ablation, or ventricular tachycardia, or fibrillation, causing syncope or sudden death, requiring device therapy, pulmonary arterial hypertension is another common, progressive, and lethal complication that may occur in several forms of congenital heart disease. In their clinical review, Pulmonary Arterial Hypertension in Congenital Heart Disease, Translational Opportunities to Study the Reversibility of Pulmonary Vascular Disease, Diedrich Eilard van der Feen and colleagues from the University Medical Center Groningen in the Netherlands remind us that in pulmonary arterial hypertension associated with congenital heart disease, remodeling of the pulmonary vasculature reaches an irreversible phenotype similar to all forms of end-stage pulmonary arterial hypertension. However, also in these patients, an early stage is recognized which is reversible. Thus, Van der Feen and colleagues propose a clinical model of pulmonary arterial hypertension in congenital heart disease with an early reversible and advanced irreversible stage. Such an approach offers unique opportunities to study pathophysiological and molecular mechanisms that orchestrate the transition from reversible medial hypertrophy into irreversible plexiform lesions. Specific targeting of these mechanisms may lead to pharmacological interventions that transform irreversible plexiform lesions into a reversible pulmonary vascular disease, one that is amenable for a cure. In recent years, significant steps have been made that strive to reverse the irreversible. 
This review provides an overview of current clinical and experimental knowledge on the reversibility of pulmonary arterial hypertension, focusing on flow-associated mechanisms and the near-future potential to advance this field. Adult congenital heart disease predisposes to infective endocarditis. In particular, prosthetic material inserted for corrective procedures constitutes risk factors for infective endocarditis. In a clinical research article entitled Incidents, Risk Factors and Predictors of Infective Endocarditis in Congenital Heart Disease, Joey Mike Kuipers and colleagues from the Academic Medical Centre in Amsterdam, the Netherlands, prospectively determined incidents, risk factors and predictors of infective endocarditis in the nationwide CONCOR cohort of 14,224 with adult congenital heart disease, focusing on the presence of prosthetics. The overall incidence was 1.33 cases per 1,000 person years. Valve-containing prosthetics were independently associated with greater risk, both short and long-term, after implantation, with high hazard ratios of 17.3 at 0 to 6 months and 15.9 at 6 to 12 months. Non-valve-containing prosthetics, including valve repair, was only associated with a hazard ratio of 3.34 in the first 6 months after implantation. Overall, Independent predictors of infective endocarditis were baseline valve-containing prosthetics, main congenital heart defect, multiple defects, previous infective endocarditis, and gender. Thus, this study provides infective endocarditis incidence estimates and determinants of infective endocarditis risk in a nationwide adult congenital heart disease cohort and indicate valve-containing prosthetics as a main determinant of infective endocarditis risk, while other prosthetics, including valve repair, are not associated with increased risk in the long term. The implications of these findings, possibly also for the ESC guidelines that were published in 2015, are discussed in an editorial by Helmut Baumgartner from the University Hospital Münster in Germany. Eisenmenger syndrome, a process in which a long-standing left-to-right shunt caused by a congenital heart defect, typically a ventricular or atrial septal defect, or a patent ductus, causes pulmonary hypertension, and in turn shunt reversal with right-to-left shunt and cyanosis, is associated with considerable morbidity and mortality. In a second research manuscript, past and current cause-specific mortality in Eisenmenger syndrome. Crystal M. S. Hjortshoi and colleagues from the Copenhagen University Hospital in Denmark sought to determine the cause-specific mortality in Eisenmenger syndrome and evaluated any relevant changes over almost 40 years. A total of 1,546 patients from 13 countries were included and analysed retrospectively. Leading causes of death were heart failure in 34%, infection in 26%, sudden cardiac death in 10%, thromboembolism in 8%, hemorrhage in 7%, and periprocedural in 7%. Heart failure deaths increased in the late relative to the early era, 
whereas death from thromboembolic events and death in relation to cardiac and non-cardiac procedures decreased. There was an increase in longevity in the late era with a median survival of 52 years compared to 35 years in the early era before 2005. Thus, in spite of changes in therapy, care and follow-up of Eisenmenger syndrome in tertiary care centres, all-cause mortality, including cardiac, remains high. Of note, patients diagnosed and treated after 2005 die later and from chronic rather than acute cardiac causes, primarily heart failure, whereas periprocedural and deaths due to hemoptysis have become less common. The impact of these results are thoughtfully put into perspective in an editorial by David S. Selameya from the University of Sydney in Australia. In a last manuscript, Prediction of Adverse Events After Catheter-Based Procedures in Adolescents and Adults with Congenital Heart Disease in the Impact Registry, Army Bart and colleagues from the Massachusetts General Hospital in Boston, USA, sought to identify factors associated with major adverse events after cardiac catheterization in adolescents and adults with congenital heart disease in the Impact Registry, containing data from over 87 hospitals in the United States. Major adverse events occurred in 686, or 2.5%, of the 27,293 index procedures meeting inclusion criteria. Independent multivariate predictors were older age, pre-procedural anticoagulation, renal disease, lower hemoglobin, lower oxygen saturation, non-elective procedure, higher index procedure risk, and having had no prior cardiac procedures. Being underweight or overweight had borderline significance and was added to the model. The C statistic for the model was robust at 0.787 in the derivation and 0.773 in the validation cohort. Thus, factors predicting adverse events after cardiac catheterization in adolescents and adults with congenital heart disease are different than in the general population. The practical implications of these findings are outlined in an editorial by Anselm Ubing from the Royal Brompton Hospital in London, UK. The editors hope that this issue of the European Hearts Journal will find the interest of its readers. <laughs>